stay calm, don't panic. You got this. Hey guys, welcome back to the Don't Panic Podcast. This is Carly Duke. This is Chris Roby. And we have another exciting interview for you today. Um, and I actually didn't get to sit in on this one. It's fine. Chris was a little selfish on this. And yes, I elbowed her out of this. Exactly. But um, we have an interview with Dr. Michael Arnold, who's a clinical psychologist um, and a great friend of Teen Lifeline. And we were excited to sit down with him and pick his brain about narrative therapy and kind of the power of story. And I know we love stories. Um, it's the reason we watch TV shows and movies mm-hmm. and read books. Um, just the power of watching someone go through the ups and downs of life and still navigate it well. And it's something we use with teenagers all the time. So I'm excited to hear what Dr. Michael Arnold has to say. Yeah, this is a, this is a, I would say of all the interviews we've done this, uh, this season, this one's probably one of the more unique ones where we, uh, we spend a lot of time talking about the concepts and narrative therapy because narrative therapy might sound uh, it was foreign to me. I mean, I had a, an idea whenever I went into this interview, what this would be about, but uh, for him to really unpack uh, even the uh, techniques behind it, he kind of pulled the curtain back of what does it look like to, to be in a counseling situation? Because for so many, especially teenagers to say, I'm going to go into, I'm, I'm, I got to go to counseling for some things I'm dealing with. That's a scary concept to, to think about, you know, am I, I going to be made to talk about what I don't want to talk about? So he kind of talks a lot about those steps about what does narrative therapy look like in practice, but then unpacks it to say, you know, as a layperson who majority of the people listening to this would be in that category, how can you take some of these concepts to, to draw stories out from students a little mm-hmm. bit? I think Michael did a great job with this. Michael, um, he, uh, just recently opened his uh, practice. It's the allowance, it's not allowance, the Alliance <laughs> Counseling and Psycho- Psychological Services. Uh, and his website is alliancecounselingdfw.com. If you are in the Dallas Fort Worth area and are looking for uh, individual or couples therapy, Michael is your guy. Um, de- definitely check him out. Um, we have a lot of respect for Michael. Um, uh, really trust him a lot. I feel mm-hmm. like I can really talk to him about a lot of things. And so, and full disclosure, he is on our board for Teen Lifeline, which is not really why we uh, brought him on. We just think he was a, a great guy to talk to. And it turns out that was definitely the case. So, um, Carly, want to talk about our sponsor real quick? Sure. So, just y'all hear about Love at Christian University, but we just cannot thank them enough. Um, and they're a great school. Um, already went through graduation and are probably getting geared up for the next school mm-hmm. year and the summer. So if you have a teenager that's looking for a school, we would encourage you to look into Lubbock Christian University and then the great athletics, academics, um, their staff. Um, we love a lot of people out there in Lubbock mm-hmm. and love what they're doing and their desire just to support us in this podcast. So Absolutely. you can listen to it. Yeah. Thanks so much. LCU. So everyone, uh, Buckle up, get ready for Dr. Michael Arnold, clinical, clinical psychologist um, on narrative therapy. Check it out. Do not panic. Well, everyone, welcome. Uh, this is Chris. Uh, I'm without Carly right now. She's she got lost or something. I don't know, but no, she's not able to be here tonight. And so I'm 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 flying solo with uh, Dr. Michael Arnold, who's a clinical psychologist and a good friend of our organization and on our board, Team Lifeline. Uh, he is here today to talk uh, with us about narrative therapy 
and don't get too spooked by that. Oh, we're going to talk about the, <laughs> the, the big picture stuff, but I'm really excited about where this is going to go today and how, how it will help our listeners. So, hey, Michael, welcome. Hey, it's good to be here. Yeah. So uh, introduce yourself a little bit, your work, um, uh, what you're doing uh, here in our area, and we'll get into it. Okay. Yeah. As you mentioned before, I'm, I'm a clinical psychologist. I, um, once I got out of graduate school in 2009, I, my first job is at a university here in the local area. And I'm having a blast right now working, uh, with university, uh, students that, well, university students range more in age each year. Uh, <laughs> yeah. College is quite accessible these days. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I I work there uh, with uh, university students of all ages and uh, and all types of problems, uh, whether it's from my roommate left and I'm trying to figure out how to make sense of things uh, on to deeper types of issues of depression, anxiety, suicide, identity issues. And so um, I've gotten to be a bit of a general practitioner of sorts in, a, in the recent years and uh, in the near future, I'll be transitioning to uh, full-time private practice here in the, the South Lake era, um, or area. It's not an era. It's not an era, but, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'll, I'll focus more on working with uh, adults and young adults and uh, doing individual counseling and couples counseling. Excellent. Very cool. So uh, while we're here and what really interests us talking to you, um, besides the fact that you're you know super involved with what we do with our organization, is uh, your focus and expertise in narrative therapy. And um, that might seem like a foreign term or idea, and I, but I think as a listener, uh, here's you talk this out. Some of this might sound familiar, um, but just, you know, give us a broad overview of um, you, your emphasis on narrative, narrative therapy. What is narrative therapy? Um, yeah. So. Well, uh, for those of you that know me, uh, when I get excited about a topic, I like to, <laughs> I can talk your ear off about it. <laughs> I am a professional listener, but I, I can talk as well. Yeah, he gets to talk now. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I got an open mic. All right. <laughs> uh, but uh, narrative therapy, I, I could literally talk for hours about this. Um, the best way to start to sum it up but still give it uh, potent meaning is, I think the thing that I love most about it is it's a mode of doing counseling that um, – it's all about metaphors. Uh, hmm. In the counseling arena, using metaphors and analogies is such a great opportunity for folks to examine themselves and examine possibilities. When hmm. you use metaphors, you can start to liberate the self and, and go into different territories. And okay. so that's one of the main reasons I love narrative therapy. So talk about the metaphors a little bit. You know, What's the power of using metaphor as you look at your own story? Um Jumping into counseling just in general for an individual, um, whether I've been in counseling myself or working with folks uh, into counseling uh, in the university setting, uh, so often I work with people that this is their first endeavor into counseling. Hmm. And so um, counseling is a relationship just like any other. Um, it is, it's got to be foundational on things like trust, comfort, security, uh, when you use metaphors, when you give people, well, I think metaphors ultimately are freedom to talk and to explore mm -hmm. and to compare myself to something else or uh, kind of bend the rules a little bit. And so narrative uh, 
therapy gives you a chance to explore all different types of areas. Gotcha. So, um, kind of give us, uh, you know, before we dive into the the practical application of this, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, in a, in a session where you were walking someone through, uh, you know, the steps of kind of finding their story, identifying themselves in a story, uh, what are some elements of a session that you would, you know, how, how would you walk them through, um, a narrative framework and, and a counseling session? Um, I'll explain narrative therapy to you just like I explain it to my clients. Okay. Uh, Excellent. I think that's the easiest way. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, narrative therapy to you or your story is like a book. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, y- People listening can't see my choreography here, but I'm I'm making my hands in the shape of the book. Yes, uh, and well I'm opening opening up to you. Yeah, uh-huh. I've practiced uh, more than once. <laughs> um, the left side of the book is your story up until this point, as you see it. Uh, it's everything has happened, everything as you remember it. It's all that stuff. Mm-hmm. If your story is anything like mine, uh, there's either a couple pages or maybe a few chapters. You'd love to uh, rip out with your own hand uh, with mm-hmm. authority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, the bummer about that left side of the book is it has uh, best way I could describe it is Harry Potter like powers. Uh, the pages reappear. It's there. <laughs> it's stuck. It's the left side of the book. Uh-huh. I, I don't know how to help you there. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. The right side of the book is blank pages. It's what mm-hmm. hasn't happened yet. Um, so often, Chris, uh, folks that come to me, they're unaware that the right side of the book is blank. Maybe they know that there are some pages that uh, are, are nice and, and blank and, and ha- don't have anything on it. But what they're living right now is, is sometimes they feel like the future is either outlined for them or it's already been written for them by someone other than themselves. Hmm. And they're experiencing some kind of stuckness. Mm-hmm. Stuckness is very generalizable. It, mm-hmm. it happens in all areas of life, whether it's identity or or your major or um, letting college themes come in. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> all areas. Yeah. Um, and so what I help people do is rewrite their future as they see it. Hmm. Um, and so the way we do this is now we don't have to be a slave to the past. We're not just going to dwell only on the left side of the book, but to be able to make a future for you that's going to be authentic and real and you, mm-hmm. uh, it's got to be versed and influenced by your history. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's so much of the fun of the metaphor of narrative therapy. Yeah. There's really three stages uh, to describe the metaphor of narrative therapy. Mm-hmm. Why don't I use another mer- uh, another metaphor? We, we've used the book already. So <laughs> um, the best way to describe uh, narrative therapy is like an archaeological dig. Hmm. There's three major parts to a dig. Now, let me preface this for all the archaeologists listening. Uh, we have a huge archaeologist <laughs> audience, by the way. I heard there's a huge following. Yeah, uh, so I want to I want to honor those people and, and stay in my lane here. <laughs> Psychologist, not an archaeologist, uh-huh. but um, archaeology, as I see it, has has three large <laughs> phases. Uh, first stage is a survey stage. Mm-hmm. Then there is a deconstruction stage, as well as a reconstruction stage. Hmm. Um, l- let me start by. Uh, describing the survey stage. So mm-hmm. as an archaeology uh, 
uh, non-expert, uh, what I understand the survey is, is you, you look at your plot of land. Maybe you plot the lines over it. You look at this area and say, this is where we're going to explore. But mm-hmm. um, if there's actual artifacts in a dig here, I don't want to trample over them. I don't want to destroy things. I want to survey the land before I jump into it. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I get to know the land is probably – my favorite part of therapy. Um, Mm. uh, The first session, I uh, get to know who you are and kind of why you came in on a general basis and see if we're going to be a good fit therapy-wise. But then after I described our fun book metaphor and what narrative therapy is, I spook out the clients a little bit, Mm. uh, just be honest. But I say, hey, next time, how do you feel about telling me your story? And they're like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. What do you want me to do? I'm like, well, I want you to tell me your story. And this is a fun part for me is I think people are so used to being told what to do and put having structure put on them. Mm-hmm. I don't do that. Mm. I say this is your time. This is your rules. You get to tell me your story however you want. Mm-hmm. I'm here to listen. I'm here mm-hmm. to understand. I'm here to try to make sense of some things with you. And while that's a little scary, it has never been scary too scary uh, right, for yeah. the clients. They eventually, uh, as long as they feel safe, they engage and hmm. they jump in. Uh, my only rule that I give to them is I say, hey, think of a title of this story before you go into it and give them about a week to think about that. And then we then we jump into it. All right, man. So we talked through survey. And I feel like I have a decent idea of what this looks like. So let's move on to deconstruction. So tell me more about that. Okay. Um, Deconstruction, archaeologically speaking, is what I like to refer to as the dig. This is to where we have the lay of the land, and now we're going to start doing some of the dirty work. Uh, We're going to dig around, and we're going to look for artifacts. And what I mean by artifacts in the term of or in regard to narrative therapy, these are important. These are just like artifacts for archaeologists. These are objects of meaning. They represent things. Now we're starting to get into the metaphor for the client. Um, when they start to tell me about their story, I get an understanding of who they are and how they see their world, and I'm getting their perspective, which mm-hmm. is so huge. Uh, <clears throat> now when we dig, I'm starting to get into, okay, what's the problem? After I've heard your story, then I'm asking you, where do you want to go? Why are you here? Mm-hmm. That's when they start to show me their most valuable artifacts or at least maybe not their most valuable ones, but the ones that are holding them back the most. Hmm. Whether it's, oh, man, um, I had a kid earlier than I wanted to, or I started doing drugs and I got labeled as a druggie, or fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. We've, we've all got them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's where I start to see the representative value, the things that uh, in the archaeology archaeology world uh we sift things we put things together and we say oh this must be a dinosaur we've got all these pieces it must be we're labeling it dinosaur and this is the interesting part where i get the individual perspective as well as um let me call it the learned social perspective of a client um they have artifacts and I don't necessarily tell them what it is. I say, well, what is this? What does this mean to you that mm-hmm. you use drugs at an early age? Well, my parents tell me this is what it means. 
My mm. teachers have said, this is what your future looks like because you do this. And I have my perspective. Now, sometimes you hear uh, conformity. They must be right because of whatever. Uh, or there's rebelliousness mm-hmm. of, well, you know, they say that, but what do they know? I want it to be something different. And so now you start to see the tension. Now you start to see the artifacts. And I wanted to say, if you've ever been on an archaeological dig. Uh, <laughs> Last time, yeah. <laughs> Last time I went. Uh, yeah. um, no one talks about the sorting phase. All right. <laughs> I've got all these pieces. They don't easily make sense. Maybe it's more like a puzzle putting it together. But what we do as people is we're meaning makers. Mm-hmm. All of us is trying to make sense of what's going on in our world. Hmm. Uh, if uh, I asked you today, hey, uh, Roby, uh, what happened today? Now, hopefully, you're not going to give me every detail. <laughs> no. But you're going to automatically, without any direction from me other than asking you the question, you're going to tell me the main artifacts of your day that were meaningful or significant. Hmm. And so this is in the residue or the substance of people's story or people's lives, when we look at these artifacts, we make sense of them together. Hmm. I ask them what it means to them. They can even ask me what it means to me. And it gives me a chance to be honest and authentic and join with them. Okay. So after you've gone past that, obviously you you would move to that right side of the book. Yeah. Hey, you are tracking with me. I'm Mm -hmm. digging it. Yes. Um, Digging it. uh, I'm digging (laughs) it. (laughs) The dude abides. Uh, (laughs) uh, The reconstruction phase is exactly what you're talking about. The right side of the book. Um, uh, I like to call this becoming a new historian. This is the meaning making. This mm-hmm. is the freedom. And this is the challenge because um, the left side of the book can be heavy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, can re- it can really be convincing and persuasive as to who you are and what you're all about. And the meaning maker in you pays attention to what you think you are throughout your life, what people tell you you are. All kinds of labels combine and braid up to a pretty convincing identity uh, that can sometimes, instead of liberate us, it can incarcerate us. Hmm. And so when we get to the reconstruction phase, that's where we go through some of the deeper artifacts. And that's the coolest part of therapy. Um, When you can take up and pick up and look at some of the scariest parts of your life and examine and be curious about how did this hold you back? What does this mean to you? Mm-hmm. What do people say about you when they know this artifact or if they see it? And by talking about it, we can start to loosen it from the ground. We can start to talk about what do you want this to mean in the future for you? Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you want to be different? Any anything you any way you want to shape your story? Mm-hmm. And that's a great opportunity for us to engage and discuss, what do you want? And as a therapist, I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. I'm here to help you discover yourself and mm-hmm. figure out what you want for you. Mm-hmm. That's going to give you longer effects, uh, longer positively lived experience, to use some geek words. Right. Um, I'm on a podcast. I get a chance to use some geek you can. words. You can. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, with that, man, and I'll, I don't know if you had were going to go any farther with that or um, – I guess one of my questions for you, and this is maybe a more philosophical question than anything, but just why is why is story so important? 
Um, I think I don't want to dwell too long on it, but we've definitely noted the power of the left side of the book and how convincing it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're journeying through that reconstructive phase, we can discover the power of the right side of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the coolest thing about uh, the future is the question mark of it. Mm-hmm. The scariest thing about the future <laughs> is the question mark of <laughs> <Right>. it. <laughs> when we can help someone take authorship, um, not control, but authorship, we can help them to be brave, to venture into something that may not work out, but to help them to make new meaning. Um I like to call it the preferred story. Uh, that's another uh, term of sorts of mm-hmm. when we're sitting in the muck, when we're sitting in the mud, when we're looking at these artifacts and how convincing or even how uh, uncertain it makes us feel, we can say, hey, what do you wanna, where do you want to go from here? What story do you want? And the coolest part is how shaping the right side of the book can also reshape the left side of the book. When someone ventures into uh, a new part of their identity or something that they don't have proof of that's verifiable, if I've never been good at math, uh, that's kind of a long – that's kind of a generalized statement there. Um, But if we can be brave enough to work hard for this next math test, to dream that I can make an A, what would it be like for me to be an A student in math Mm -hmm. and – to put in, what would that shape look like? Well, I'd have to go to class more. I'd have to do my homework. Maybe I'd even need to use my resources. We have tutoring here at school and all these things. Now, that's no guarantee that you'll make an A. Mm-hmm. But to be brave, to move forward in there, and to hopefully we find something, we, we endeavor into something to where the dream becomes the reality. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how many deleted scenes pop up of, you know what? When I was in third grade, I was the top math student. I was even in advanced math. I'd, how did I forget about that? Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. amazing what kind of things pop up because um, one of the foundational things that makes a good story is a consistent theme. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, most folks that walk into my office don't have – awesome, consistent themes that they're aware of. There's Mm -hmm. usually something pervasive that's bringing them down and helping them get lower. Um, The beautiful thing about narrative therapy is helping somebody use their dreams, use their hopefulness, use their curiosity and creativity to journey into new places that they'll discover, I have evidence even in the past that I've been there, and I can rewrite my own story mm-hmm. in a way that works better for me. Right, that works better for my world. And that preferred feature you talked about, you know, I, I, the the question of what do you want? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll I'll ask students that sometimes, and I and I will get just blank stares, and not that they don't like the question. It's almost like I'm speaking a different language in some ways <laughs> of just like, what do you want? You know, Absolutely. and like, 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 you know, obviously I'm not going to give it to him, right, <laughs> you know? right. but you know, that, that's a, it's, such, it's such a powerful question and it, and it elicits such an interesting response. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you get that too. And it, absolutely. What, what is it about that? Uh, well, it's, it's the freedom, the fun and the scariness and the anxiety about it because, uh, you know, one of the bummer parts about movies is they have only 90 minutes or 
two hours or three hours if you're Peter Jackson. Um, uh, even if you had three hours, uh, you get to go through a lot of the uncertainty and kind of delete that out. Um, in the real lived experience, we have the power and the authority to say, you know, I'm 18 years old. And when you ask me what I want to do for the rest of my life, if I'm honest and this is a safe place, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we have the freedom to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. We have the freedom to sit and I don't know. Mm-hmm. And that is okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's not an acceptable answer for a lot of teenagers. Like, no, you need <laughs> to have parents. a plan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Their parents. Yeah. Yeah. You need to have a plan. You need to know where you're going. They're told that all the time. And so, yeah. All right. So let's, let's, let's kind of continue down that path because I, um, our listenership has a lot of archaeologists. I can tell. <laughs> yes. But not the ma- phones are lighting up, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe not as many PhDs and people with your expertise. All right. Sure. So a lot of, a lot of folks, you know, are, are parents who want to connect on a deeper level with their teenager. Yes. Or, um, youth workers who love teenagers that want to be help, better helpers or, you know, you name it, you know? And so, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, this framework and, you know, how can we, um, how can we use some of these concepts to have, to build deeper relationships, explore stories, obviously, you know, that reconstruction stage, I would think would probably be where we avoid, but. Okay. I think I have a thought of what you're talking about here. Okay. Talking about roles. Um, roles are a great thing to talk about. Okay. Um, uh, sorry for be, uh, saying therapisty and counsely kind of things, but um, talking about roles gives people great security and understanding of Oftentimes, my experience in the university setting is, um, how do I do counseling? I don't, I, how do I do it right? How do I do it wrong? Um, I tell each student that I work with, there's two things that you that doing for you, your role, if you will, will give you everything that you need from my perspective. And it is being willing to just be yourself and being open to discovering yourself. If you do that, you're going to get what you need. And now I have a role too. Um, uh, for me, I love to talk about geek words. One of my favorite geek words is the word paraclete. Uh, that is exactly who I am, uh, who I strive to be in my life as well as in the counseling room. Um, and I love uh, to talk to uh, people in a secular society about uh theological type of words. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always ask people, have you ever heard that word paraclete? And uh, I've heard all kinds of things from sports references of, I got a paraclete at home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and some folks, uh, I've never, I've worked with hundreds of people. I've never had someone say, yeah, I know the paraclete, all that. Um, but I say, hey, paraclete is a cool word that comes from a Greek word, parekletos or parekletos. I, I've got to brush up on my own Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, but it means a lot of things. Uh, it means counselor. I point to myself. Hey, mm-hmm. that's me. Mm-hmm. Um, it also means a few different things. One who's accepting, one who's a listener, and here's my favorite definition. One who comes alongside. Hmm. When you think about me, I'm one who comes alongside you. What that means is I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to tell you what to do. It doesn't mean I won't give you my opinion sometimes, mm-hmm. but I'm on your team. Mm-hmm. Even if you choose something that's different than maybe what I would have done, I'm on your team. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to judge you. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I can't tell you, Chris, how far that goes. Yeah. That gives me millions of miles, um, but only one way. If I don't have an agenda with, aside from that, hmm. if I'm playing a role of a paraclete, if I'm fake, it, it's like an aroma that's not pleasant. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> They'll pick up on it. People know that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I go with the paraclete um, not because it's a cool word or I like the way it sounds, but that's a passion for me. Mm-hmm. I want to come alongside people, um, and I don't presume to know all the answers, mm-hmm. but I have a passion to search and discover which answers are right for which individual people. Mm-hmm. I got to think in, in, the, in the life of a teenager, too, that is a rare role for someone to play because mm-hmm. it seems like a majority of adults in their life are incredibly directive. Mm-hmm. And tell them this is what you should do, even in loving and caring ways. Right, right. <laughs> but and, but you know there are people who play those roles that probably need to be in that role. But it almost feels like if you are an adult in a student's life, no matter what, you have to tell them what to do. <laughs> hey, I, I'm a parent. I'm I'm, I'm always going to see myself as a rookie parent. But mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's that part where you have to be a more directive role. Um, and, uh, hey, I got to tell you what to do or what I think you should do or what the, quote, right way is. And, well, the other side of that coin is uh, as our kids get older, we understand that they, they have, what do they call it, uh, brains. They have brains, too. <laughs> and uh, they make their own decisions, mm-hmm. even if they're under our roof or when they're not under – you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so – that's a touch and go part that I definitely don't claim to be an expert with, but I love to engage on that journey of, Hey, I'm with you. And I, sometimes I do have some insight of what the right way would be for you to go. But mm-hmm. man, uh, I don't know about your kids, but mine definitely remind me at times, Hey dad, I make the decisions in my life <laughs> and that's how I roll. Right. Right. <laughs> well, and, and one of the other uh, roles I've heard, especially parenting a teenager is more compared to like a, being a coach mm-hmm. than being um, uh, the disciplinarian. Mm-hmm. But that role kind of changes as they're going through the stage of adolescence. And it sounds when you talk about walking alongside um, almost being a guide, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I like the, I like those, you know, where you're directed when you need to be. Yes. Um, yeah. And I want them to know, uh, especially my, my kids of, uh, I love you regardless mm-hmm. if you did what I want or if you didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I go my own way plenty of times. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that foundational part of you can always come home to me, you can always come to me is essential. Uh, I definitely don't have that part mastered, but mm-hmm. uh, that's definitely my goal and my motive mm-hmm. with kids uh, who are not teenagers yet. Right. I'll right. let you know if that changes. Okay. Gotcha. Um one of the things I'd like to uh, just as I was thinking through this, so we're talking th- about narrative therapy with adolescents mm-hmm. and you know, you talked about the left side of the book and the right side of the book. Um, how do you apply some of these ideas with this, with the, in the lives of a student whose life is changing so rapidly? Um, I, I would even say more so than maybe as an adult, you know, where, mm-hmm. you know, that part of life is about rapid change and development and things aren't ever the same one day to the next. Right, right. I'm not going to say my age, but uh, I like to think that people of all ages are always, at least 
I want to believe that we're always developing, but that's right. not true. We all have the opportunity to develop. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it is an area only for, you know, teens or preteens of, oh, I'm still developing. Um, mm-hmm. Gosh, I hope that's not the case. Uh, <laughs> but in regard to what you're saying as well, um, let me travel to the Geek Zone just briefly um, uh, to help understand at least where teens and uh, young adults are at and where they're going. Um, one of the fun young theorists that I got a chance to study uh, when I was going through school is a guy named Eric Erickson. Uh, he developed what's called a psychosocial stage theory. I hope you're all still awake. Oh, they're here. Uh, <laughs> basically, uh, an identity uh, stage type of theory that um, looks at our identity and how we relate to ourselves in the world. Um, uh, as Eric Erickson would say it, adolescent folks, uh, ages 12 through 19, as he would have defined it, um, are dealing with a battle, a paradox of sorts. Identity versus role confusion. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a fight for your social identity, for mm-hmm. the place of meaning. Um, uh, I think that makes so much sense today, uh, especially with the young adults that I see or if I call them adolescents, I think they'd probably only attend for one session. So I'm going to call them young adults. Uh, right, right. <laughs> but the other stage, the next stage, early adulthood, ages 20 through 25, uh, there's a new struggle, kids. Uh, it's intimacy versus isolation. Now let's talk about this socially. We're sitting there going, hey, is it better to like link up with someone, like uh, live with them and try to go through life that way or – should I just be alone? Should I just throw this out? <laughs> and um, I don't want you to think of it as an either-or kind of thing, but more as a spectrum. Usually we fall somewhere in the middle of intimacy and isolation mm-hmm. based on our relations with other folks and ourselves mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. where we feel safe. Mm-hmm. So all that in the con- context of working with students is, um, I hope you don't hear me say, uh, or, or act like I'm playing dodgeball, trying to avoid questions. But mm-hmm. I'm trying to point out just how many individual differences there are. Mm-hmm. And if I don't stop to appreciate the differences with either my kids or the people that I'm working with, man, I'm missing out. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that I can't apply some generalized understandings, but... I don't know what it was like before our generation, but I know now with myself when they're interacting with others or when I'm interacting with uh, younger folks, um, if I don't notice their individuality, I've already lost them. Right. And to do that, I don't know any other way to do that but to stop. Well, and, you know, if I was to summarize a few things of what you're saying, what I'm hearing you saying, you talk about slowing down, obviously, kind of checking your agenda. Yes. Um, and, uh, I don't think you have to be a therapist to ask good questions, <laughs> right? No, <laughs> right. No. And so you just need to be interested, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So, so just talk briefly about questions, then we'll kind of wrap this up. So, you know, to to learn someone's story, obviously you have to come equip with some good questions. What are, what are good questions that you like to ask your clients to draw out their stories? And I mean, I know that's you can get more specific with that if you need to, but you know, just in general, what are some great good kind of questions? Um, okay. Uh, in thinking about that question, I think more about environment. Um, 
it's less about asking the right questions, but creating an environment to where questions are the organic fruits of life. Um, uh, now, that's a strength I have in, in a counseling room. Uh, there's nothing else to do but sit and look at each other. Uh, don't think that hasn't happened either, but... <laughs> um, I create an environment through narrative therapy to where, um, it, like I said before, I get a chance to be myself. I'm very curious, inquisitive, interested. Um, I'm passionate in learning about the other person. Mm-hmm. When I give someone the time and the space to say, hey, I'm essentially saying, tell me about yourself. I'm interested. I want to help. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to take over and tell you what to do. I want to actually stop and listen and come alongside you. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised how often uh, people are quick to talk, quick to answer questions. If I create invi- an environment like that that mm-hmm. says, "Hey, I want to hear about you," you can say as much or as little, and you're going to get the same effect from me. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll take whatever you give me. I'll mm-hmm. accept that. I'm not going to judge you for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris, that that uh, is really a good way to illustrate the process of time. Mm-hmm. You need time to build relationship. You mm-hmm. need time to ask certain questions. I can't ask certain questions when I just got to know you. But when we spend time, when we create that environment to where we're safe, to where it's open, I'm accepting you for who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also a person with a perspective that differs, but we can still talk. Mm-hmm. Um you'd be amazed how often uh, there's questions that are widely acceptable. There's few that we can ask when we have that trust, mm-hmm. when we have that acceptance and appreciation for each other. Mm-hmm. And when, you know what, what my agenda is, is I'm interested in you. Mm-hmm. I want to help if I can. Yeah. I want to help you uh, to help yourself. Um, then many questions are open and available. Right. Right. So, to sum up, um, what is one thing you would, uh, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, what's one thing like a takeaway you would want, uh, our listener, our listeners to, to get from what you said tonight, just like if they heard, if they heard one thing, hmm. if nothing else you've talked about tonight, what would that be? Wow. That's a great question. Um, you know, I think the major thing that I feel, is <laughs> that's wrong with our world uh, is I don't think we take enough time to be still. Mm-hmm. We, we're very aware of time. We're very aware of how, how little time we have and how much we need to go and do and be and accomplish. And I think that really gets in our way as people and with relationships that there's no substitute for being still. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite Bible verse is Exodus 14, 14. It says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Hmm. Now, we don't have any more time for me to jump into my fun stories, but what I can tell you, Chris, is the largest act of faith in my own life has been learning how to be still. Mm-hmm. It's when I've been the most still in my world that I've been able to see all the amazing things God does heroically, mm-hmm. miraculously in my life. It's kind of like a car. It's easier to pay attention and to notice everything around me when I'm at a stoplight. Mm-hmm. 
if I'm appropriately going the speed limit on the freeway, I'm still aware of some good things, Mm -hmm. but I'm missing a whole lot. When I can take the time to learn to be still, whether it's with myself, with my kids, with my clients, or with God, I'm going to truly discover God's amazing, miraculous power and love for me. Hmm. Okay. So one last question I'll I'll leave uh, and we'll kind of wrap up with this. Um, With a teenager, if you're trying to understand their story Mm -hmm. in a better way, and I would even say just on a surface level, you're getting to know them. It's not like a deeply intimate relationship yet. What's a good kind of starter question? Some kind of question you can ask a teenager that would be helpful to understand even, you know, staking out the dig, so to speak. Hmm. Um, A good question you can ask a teenager. Uh, You know, I'm really not sure. Uh, For me, it's less about those types of specifics, and it's more about, um, I guess I'm less prescriptive and more uh, agenda-focused, even though I don't want that to sound hypocritical. Um, My agenda is interest. Mm-hmm. Um, any way I can communicate interest in the other and mm. uh, show that, I, I think it pays off in spades because mm. um, it gives people a chance to ask me, what is your agenda? What's your deal? What mm-hmm. are you after? Well, I'm really interested in what you have to say. I, you know, I don't have your perspective. I'm 900 years old. You're 17. Mm-hmm. What is cool these days anyway? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to wear that kind of pants? What? Um, so it's to me, it's more about creating an environment and being obvious about what my agendas are. I'm right. interested in you. I want to help how I can. Yeah. I'm not the expert on everything. Um, when I can do those kind of things, I can create an environment to where... I can ask you questions, and you can ask me questions, too, mm-hmm. and we can figure it out together. The Don't Panic Podcast is produced by Team Lifeline. Your hosts are Chris Roby and Carly Duke, with special support from Ricky Lewis. The music you heard today comes from Under the Chandeliers. You can find them on SoundCloud or Spotify. If you want to check out today's notes and resources, visit our website, don'tpanicpodcast.org. Or you can find us on Twitter, Instagram at Don't Panic Talk. Finally, here's a word from our sponsor, Lubbock Christian University. Thanks for listening. And remember, don't panic. You've got this. Hi, my name is Becca, and all my professors at Lubbock Christian University know it. I never realized what a difference it would make attending a smaller university. I've traveled the world and I've had leadership opportunities you can only find at a place like LCU. I know that my experience at Lubbock Christian University is what gave me the edge to be hired right after graduation. Believe, belong, be blue. That's Lubbock Christian University. Hey, this is Batman. Stay calm, don't panic.